I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to Almost Famous, the podcast where I meet other people with famous family members and discuss how that has affected their journeys through life. My guest today is actress Lucy Briers. My dad was in the swimming pool. <laughs> My actress went, Richard Briers, this is your life. And I threw a complete queenie. Since studying at the Bristol Old Vic Theatre School, Lucy has appeared on television in shows including Pride and Prejudice, Silent Witness, Ashes to Ashes, 2012 and The Thick of It. And I remember a, a girl at school saying, oh, do you have goats in your garden? I said, it's a TV show. No, <laughs> we don't have goats in our garden. In films including Alan Partridge, Alpha Papa, and on stage in the West End and Broadway in Showboat, Wolf Hall and Bring Up the Bodies to name but a few. Lucy is the daughter of the late actor Richard Briers CBE. He was good fun to be with. My poor mum was kind of like the bad cop and he was the good cop. Richard was perhaps best known for his role as Tom Good in the 1970s BBC sitcom The Good Life. But he was a prolific actor, having appeared in films including Much Ado About Nothing, A Chorus of Disapproval and Hamlet. When I was a teenager, he would allow me to come and hang out in the wings of whatever Western theatre he was doing a show in, uh, which was, of course, totally ridiculous because he'd never wanted me to be an actor. And then we'd go, come and partake of this drug. Richard was part of Kenneth Branagh's Renaissance Theatre Company, appearing on stage in the title roles of King Lear and Uncle Vanya. And throughout his career, Richard was a regular on the small screen, including roles in ever-decreasing circles, Monarch of the Glen, Torchwood, and of course, as narrator of the 1970s kids' cartoon series, Rhubarb and Custard. And I heard a little laugh at that one from our guest today. Lucy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, considering um, it's Monday morning. I, uh, <laughs> yes, it was Monday morning, uh, and that's why it took me 19 times to get through that intro. But we'll edit it so it doesn't seem like anything went awry. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to start just by asking what it was like growing up um, with your dad narrating one of the kind of coolest, most popular cartoons around? Because uh, 70s was a tiny bit more before my time, but I certainly saw lots of reruns of Rhubarb and Custard. Well, um, my claim to fame is that I was the first person slash child in this country to see Rhubarb and Custard because my dad took me to a sound studio in Soho um, on my seventh birthday and showed me the first two episodes. Um, and uh, I thought it was amazing. I mean, I you, you, know, I mean, you I were a seven, very early focus group. Very early focus group. Um, and I mean, I'd never seen anything like it, you know. And what I thought was so hilarious about 
the programming of that cartoon was that it was put at the end of, you know, the kids' kind of TV slot on BBC, which was supposed to be when the kid was kind of, you know, like winding down to go to it. And and (laughs) had this kind of LSD trip um, going on for like, I don't know how long each episode is, what is it, five, six minutes or something. Um, No, it was great. And, you know, Dad did all the voices and all of that. But it's a very, I'm sure you've had this as well. It's a very interesting thing because... So many times in my life, people have said, what's it like having a famous father? I don't know, because my father was famous from before I was born. So it, I don't know what it's like to have a famous father. It was just, that was that was he my was dad. He was just dad. It was my dad, and he was well known. So, um, you know, so yeah, I was aware that he was doing that cartoon, and I loved watching it. But as a seven eight, nine-year-old, that's just what your dad does. But you didn't, so you didn't um, go into school and say, oh, you have to watch this cartoon, my dad's narrating it, it's oh, amazing, my dear or anything like that? Lord above, no, no. I mean, no. <laughs> I'm not sure that I wouldn't. It never I, the, occurred to me but to I only asked because I'm not sure that I wouldn't have done. It was such kind of a cool thing. But I, I guess my equivalent of it is if I'd gone to school and it turns out that my dad had been the voice of Bart Simpson. Oh, well, no, that would... Yeah, I think that would be different, actually. And in fact, The Simpsons was one of my father's favourite cartoons. Um, He watched it pretty much every afternoon, especially when he was um, ill in the last few years of his life. Um, I also remember him watching it. He went over to to Australia to do um, Peter Pan. He made a film, Peter Pan. And uh, I I went over there at one point to just, you know, hang out in the (laughs) Palazzo Versace. I mean, why wouldn't you? Uh, The only six-star hotel in the world or something ludicrous. Anyway, um, and... What I love, this is what I loved about my father, was that he was in this apartment in the Palazzo Versace and every afternoon he would watch The Simpsons like he was at home, you know. That's so cool. And I think just to show you some of my deep, deep knowledge, I think the Palazzo Versace is the hotel that they use for I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. It certainly is. Yeah, it certainly is. I've heard that one as well. Um, So, yeah, I think if my dad had been voicing Bart Simpson, I possibly would have actually tried to drop that into a conversation. But um, Rhubarb and Custard cult though it is is perhaps not on the same level well i think you're doing a you're doing a disservice to rhubarb and custard and and everyone if we ever get the daughter of the maker of rhubarb and custard in i will make sure to play play that to her to tell her what you said um Uh, we usually ask the same question first up, right. uh, but I wanted to talk about Rubo and Custard. But okay. uh, I wanted to know what you thought of your intro and what uh, Richard would have thought of his, do you think? Do you think he maybe would have been disappointed that we left a few things out? There was just so much stuff. Oh, well, I mean, you know, what can you do? Um, you, you know, you can't you can't put... How long was he an, uh, a professional, like a performing like professional actor? Um, oh, 50 years, 50-odd mm. years. Um, no, I think he would have liked it because, you know, it mentioned the stuff he is very well known for, but also the fact that... Uh, for a wonderful reason of Ken Branagh coming into his life, his career took a very different turn in his 50s, which was brilliant because he had kind of hit a sort of wall um, in terms of being very typecast. Um, and no, I was very happy with mine, darling. You mentioned Broadway in the West End. I'm happy. I'm right. I mean, <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> uh, and as, as an actress yourself, um, mm. is, is being typecast the almost, other than being unemployed, you know, quite a, a frightening prospect, one of the most frightening prospects? Um... Gosh, I think I think you, I think you almost have to police that yourself. Um, I mean, what Dad was brilliant at is he was consistently great at getting himself out of his comfort zones, and I think uh, I learnt I learnt a lot from that uh, watching him do that. And of course, in a way, the the most powerful thing an actor can have is the power to say no to a job. Actually, so I 
always try to find a way of being financially independent of the industry in a weird way. So I was very lucky. I, I still do voiceovers, but I went through a phase of doing like loads. So financially, I was really fine. I was okay. Um, and I have day jobs. I've had two day jobs since I was like in my mid-20s that I still do. Um, and uh, I think that's important because... Otherwise, you're you are you are going to get typecast, and you will just go, oh yeah, great, that's another. And for me, that's not why I want to be an actor. I want to be an actor, so you know, I I I challenge myself. Of course, you are going to. I'm never going to be. I was never the ingenue. You know, I was always the the strange best friend. Um, and um, and I'm now in a sort of position in my early fifties. I'm I'm now going into sort of like the doer, housekeeper, scary police DCI uh, area <laughs> of the industry, which I'm thoroughly enjoying, I oh, have to I say. Hope, I hope to see you in, line, see you in line of duty. What oh, a... gosh, I'd love to do that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but just, yeah, so, so, yeah, I think that's important. Interesting that you brought up your day jobs, I think, because mm. we're recording this in early November, and it was actually only a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if you saw this, that um, a former EastEnders actress was yeah. publicly shamed oh, for um, working a day job as a security guard in a, a supermarket, yeah. I think. Um, definitely keen to get your opinion on that, because that's... That was a really shocking piece of, of what I mm. think is a, a classic example of, of what modern-day journalism seems to all be about and what social media jumps on and things. Awful. Well, I, I think it's that thing, isn't it, of, of people assuming that because she's been a regular in a soap opera, she's going to be sort of, you know, uh, hanging around in a jacuzzi, yeah. <laughs> uh, sort of like living the life of Riley. N- no, you know, um, the minute a job finishes, uh, you know, pretty much, unless you've managed to save some money out of it, you're going to be going, oh, OK, well, and good honour. I mean, yeah, great. We all have to do it. I would say 90 8% of actors have to have day jobs and have to have other ways of earning money. And um, and I, what is shameful about that? You know, it's it, that's just part of what we do and how we survive, you yeah. know. So, no, I thought that was appalling. And I think that ties in also with um, what people assume it must be like to grow up with a famous person in, as your parent. Mm. Um, did people naturally assume, did you find that people naturally assumed that your life was a lot more... It, you know uh, you, that you're a lot richer in essence than you were or that you had yeah. had more opportunities than everybody else I think people well there were two things I, I remember when The Good Life was really kind of at the top of its game so to speak and I was again sort of seven eight nine um, and I remember a, a, a girl at school saying oh do you have goats in your garden and I just thought <laughs> what a stupid thing to say even at like the age of eight I was like you know and I felt like saying to her it's a well, I did. I said, it's a TV show. No, we don't have goats in our garden. Our goats are you at know. our farm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's on our estate. No, no, no. Um, yeah, I think people did think that, you know, I lived in a very glamorous house. And, and you know, my parents were both uh, blitz kids, as I call them. You know, they'd grown up in, in the war. And uh, my father especially had had uh, a very kind of financially unstable childhood. Um, so, no, I grew up in a very nice, um, uh, lovely house in West London. But, you know, nothing was repaired or redecorated until it was absolutely, you know, beyond... <laughs> Like either beyond repair or my parents would go, oh, yeah, that room does look a bit shoddy now, you know. So and I, I'm the same. I mean, I, I will absolutely kind of like get everything out of whatever I have um, until it's broken. And, yeah. you know, um, so, yeah, I lived in a kind of bohemian shabby chic 
Yeah. That's what I would describe myself as. And, and, yeah. And is that and that's uh, gone with you into later totally. life? Totally. My, my all my furniture is second hand. Uh, it spans from sort of eighteen nineties through to about nineteen seventies. Uh, I love all that. Um, yeah. I I I mean I go round to friends' houses, you know, and they look astounding. You know, like they're, they're just in house and gardens. And I do come back to my flat sometimes and go. I do sort of live, sort of in a hovel, but um, <laughs> but I like my hovels. So, so you know, there we are. No, I think say, a, a West London. <laughs> Hovel, though, a West still, London yeah. hovel, yes, exactly. But um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think there are more important things to worry about, really. Um, you mentioned uh, that your dad was uh, really excellent at making sure he was never in his comfort zone. Mm. And I've also read a lot that uh, he's been very he was very open about his uh, battle with nerves when acting as well. So yeah. those things to me don't seem to tally up. Like almost testing himself despite knowing how much it would it would affect him. I know. I think he was. A risk taker, and in, and in fact, uh, I didn't fully uh, appreciate this until I was working with uh, James Hogg, who wrote his um, my father's posthumous biography. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only working with James that I I absolutely started to go, oh yeah, my dad really did take risks all the time, despite the fact that you know it would put him through intense nerves. I remember Ken Branagh saying to me that like on the press night of King Lear, um, dad had this entrance where, you know, he was standing behind these kind of massive double doors and, you know, the doors opened and there was King Lear. And um, dad had also broken his ankle through rehearsals. So was performing with a uh, a cast, a plaster cast and crutches. Um, And um, uh, Ken said he was visibly shaking, you know, visibly, like absolutely wraught with nerves. Um, I mean, yeah, what, what drives somebody to do that? I think because his creative soul wanted to keep pushing himself. And that is, to me, um, incredibly admirable and something that I try to uh, also do in my career of going, do I want to play that part or would I? My dad always used to say to me, keep yourself available. That's better. You're, it's better being unemployed for a bit than doing a job you don't want to do. If you can help, you know, if you can help it. If, you know, obviously, um, you know, if you absolutely desperately need the cash, of course, you have to do it. But if you can avoid that, then keep yourself available for the jobs that are going to make your heart sing, really. I, for me, that makes him an artist because, yeah, because was, yeah. it's the same for me as all the bands that I love the most. So yeah. Radiohead, who will consistently reinvent themselves. Yeah. And of course, they could have made six different versions of OK Computer, their most successful Mm. album, and made, I dare say, a lot more money in a lot shorter space of time. But they're artists, so they have to keep reinventing themselves. I think that's really impressive, especially not something you see that regularly in in actors, I I personally don't find. Um, I wanted to ask how you felt when we first asked you to appear on the podcast. Um, Because, you know, I find it a fascinating subject, but it's one that not everybody feels comfortable talking about. No, I just I just thought the questions were really interesting. So no, I I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, because it is it is interesting. It is interesting, and nobody has ever. Yes, people have said, you know, what's it like having a famous father? But that's not the same as what the approach you've got. And and you know, it is different. You it is different growing up with somebody who is in the public eye. And you know, I used to have this kind of weird fantasy sometimes that I was growing up in a family that was. I hate the word normal. You're going to say normal, yeah. I hate I, that but word. But I totally understand yeah, what I you mean. Yeah, I hate it because yeah. it's a stupid word. But but that was just, you know, I used to have this, I loved the film To Kill a Mockingbird. Great book as well, obviously. And I used to have this kind of fantasy that my dad would be like, you know, Gregory Peck. So he'd come back at 5pm and be 
at home to kind of read us a bedtime story and stuff like that. Because dad was, you know, his schedule was completely different to ours. You know, he would be asleep when we went to school and he would probably either be already at work or about to go to work because he did so many West End shows when I was a kid uh, when we got back. So really the only quality time we spent with him was during a summer holiday that we'd booked. Now, I don't in any way mean to then imply that, oh my, it was so terrible. That was my childhood. That's what I was used to. And I guess it's only in retrospect, when you look back, you kind of go, oh, wow, you know, other people had a lot more time with their fathers than than we did. Um, but you know, yeah, so I did have that weird fantasy of like my dad just going, having a nine to five job. Yeah. And that might actually be quite nice. So yeah. The way you talk about it, though, doesn't come across in any way resentful of him uh, oh God, not no. always being present. No. So what, in what ways do you think he managed to, um, as a father, build that relationship with you so that, because I think it's quite easy mm. for kids to rail against that and use it as an excuse. But, well, but you, you, you don't have any of that resentment at all. No, I mean, first of all, you know, he, because of his background, I think he was so adamant that his kids would have a financially secure upbringing. And so I, I always understood that, you know, from a very early age, I guess. Um, he took my sister and I when I was, I must have been about eight so my sister would have been 12. And he took us to the block of flats where he was brought up, and um, which are obviously now worth, you know, half a million each, you know. <laughs> but at the time, it was a rented place in, you know, sort of um, southwest London. Mm. And he said to us, I will never forget this. He said, don't ever end up living somewhere like this. As I say now, yeah. I'd be like, oh, that's actually quite a nice place because it had been all, you know, poshed up it's and all that. It's now a private member's bar. Exactly. You know, I mean, you know, it's kind of, but it was at that time, even in the 1970s, it looked pretty run down, on a busy road, all of that sort of stuff. And I just remember even at eight going, oh, okay, okay, uh, all right. And it just, he was driven by that. And so why would I resent that you know he was just trying to give us the best life he could possibly give us and also the time that we did spend with him was quality time he was hilarious mm. he was good fun to be with my poor mum was kind of like the bad cop and he was the good cop and um you know yeah i that, i i don't know and also when i was a teenager he would um allow me to come and hang out in uh, in the wings of of the western theater whatever western theater he was doing a show in um uh, which was of course totally ridiculous because he'd never wanted me to be an actor and then would go come and come and uh, partake of this drug yeah. <laughs> that I am you know uh, doing you know um, so I mean that just sealed it for me I was just I read, you know I read that he begged you not to get into oh, acting so what, what was his what were his reasonings behind that and, ha and how did it <laughs> manifest itself um, oh what oh, begging me not to do it yeah. yeah I thought he said what was his reasons for allowing me into the wings of West End theatres no idea at all um uh, I think he he knew how difficult an industry is, especially mm. for women. Um, and uh, I just, I think he wanted me, you know, I went to a very, very posh private school, a very hothouse school where like 85% of my year went to Oxford and Cambridge. And I think my dad wanted me to kind of go to Oxford and Cambridge, be a lawyer or marry somebody very rich. <laughs> I think there is that element to my dad that he was like, great, I'll send her to this school and, you know, then she'll marry a really rich person. Um, and uh, sadly, I just, <laughs> it just didn't work out like that. Um, and I mean, he would, I've told this story so many times and people are always so, so shocked by it, but I, I, I never was and I always knew what he was doing. He would come and see me in school plays and he'd wait for me afterwards and he'd just come out and he'd just shake his head and go, no, no. <laughs> 
what? You know, which was basically like, mm, no, no, you shouldn't be doing this. I'm aghast. That's Are amazing. St- well, I think that's an amazing yeah. story because... Testing my resolve, that's what he was doing. Which is what you need most as an a- as an actor Absolutely is, is right. the thick skin, which yeah. makes sense. But as a, as a assuming this was in your teenage years, yeah. or, surely devastating for you. No. <laughs> You knew, you, so you were no, intuitive enough a, to know what he was doing. Or? Uh, possibly not that, but I, I have the personality quite like my father actually. Uh, that if somebody tells me I can't do something, I will basically go, "Well, fuck you, I'll do it." He must have known that then. I think. About you. I think he probably did. I mean, you know, again, it's a different generation of parenting. You know, thank God. I would hate to be somebody being parented now, where most parents are trying to be their child's best friend. I mean, that's not good parenting in my mind. I, I, yeah, it was harsh, but it, it, it never affected me. I just thought, well, I'll, I'm going to do it, so, despite what you're telling me. And what is amazing is that when I got into drama school, he he realised he, the, the battle was over, you know. And and from that point on, he went, right, I'm going to be your biggest support. I'm going to be your biggest fan. And he did this extraordinary thing when I did a play up at Sheffield Crucible, um, Cloud Nine, uh, a Carol Churchill play, one of the most beautiful plays ever. And he came to see a matinee and he, he and my mum um, uh, took me out for, like, you know, supper between the shows. And... I think it was about 2001, this, 2002. Um, And he said to me, I'm passing the baton on. And I've got friends who have famous actor parents. None of them have ever done that. And I think, well, to my knowledge, that's a very broad statement, isn't it? Um, But I think that was the most, it was one of the most beautiful moments of my relationship with him. Because he's, and he said to me, you're doing things up there I couldn't possibly do total nonsense to be frank but for him to say that to me was amazing it was an amazing moment in our relationship uh, that doesn't sound initially to me like the fact that you've replied to uh, mentioned that as total nonsense sounds like that's because of the way he's brought you up to not be so arrogant as to think that whereas I don't yeah. believe for a second that he didn't genuinely mean those words I think he did genuinely mean it because uh, you know I, I had to in that play I had to be incredibly emotionally vulnerable and uh I come from a family, maybe you can tell, uh, that finds that quite difficult. Um, so maybe he, yeah, I think he was genuinely, I think he genuinely meant it. Yeah. He wasn't just being sort of, you know, disingenuous. But I, yeah, I, I, um, it was an amazing moment in our yeah, relationship. and a beautiful thing to yeah. cherish, now, especially now that he's gone. Absolutely. To remember that he yeah. was able to say that for. Yeah. Um, I wonder if you have a, a memory or a concept from when you first realised your dad was famous and not like the other dads. Um... I do remember him being stopped in the street a lot for autographs from when I was very small. Yeah, I how did get, that? I just get to get really irritated. I'd be just like, oh, fuck, you know, I want to go to the playground, or I want to, you know. And I, oh, actually, a, a memory has just suddenly come into my mind. Um, the first time that he had this is your life done for him, um, we were at he Richmond had it done twice, twice, didn't he? Yeah, he once. must be one of the only people to have had it done. Yeah, twice, maybe. Surely. I think I think he had it done too early the first time, um, or maybe it was because his career took such a different turn they decided to do it again but I was four or five I think when they did it the first time and and my poor mum had like obviously had this whole thing arranged where they, we were in Richmond swing baths and Eamon Andrews came out dressed <laughs> as a lifeguard 
God, it's weird when you say these things because, you know, suddenly you realise your childhood was a bit strange. And uh, with the red book and the microphone. And yeah. th- my dad was in the swimming pool, in the child's swimming pool. <laughs> and his went, Richard Pryor, this is your life. And I threw a complete queenie. I was like, I didn't really understand what was going on. And I wanted my swimming lesson time, whatever it was. And there are photographs of me, how embarrassing is this, in the red book, because that's what the red book is, you know, yeah. it's just like photographs of, you know, whatever, the day, of me literally throwing a tantrum <laughs> because I didn't want to get out of the swimming pool. So, yeah, that's a, that's a oh weird my God, one. If, if that had been in modern day with social media and video and oh. everything, you would have been the star. Well, fact. yes. I, I mean, thank God, you know. And that's what we were talking about a bit um, before we started recording was that thing of the notion of fame then and the notion of fame now. Mm. And I think that's a very... That important thing to put into the equation of these discussions because fame then was a, a kind of much gentler thing for a lot of people, whereas now it's uh, yeah, ugh. it's a hiding to nothing in a lot of ways. I, oh, yeah. I feel like I should say just on a with my producer hat on for those of you too young to remember, this is your life. This is your yeah. life was a show where um, famous people would be surprised by a presenter originally uh, Eamon Andrews, but then Michael Aspel, I yeah, think, for a number right. of years did it. That's right, and they'd be surprised uh, with a red book in seemingly ever more contrived circumstances. <laughs> so your your swimming pool one is a great uh, great story, and <laughs> there are then some also uh, that you're surprised, and then you're brought to a TV studio where all of your friends and colleagues surprise you and you go through your career and stuff like that a a great show that will inevitably be brought back and hosted by Rylan Clark I would have thought oh that's that's quite interesting yes and if um, and if if that ends up happening remember who had that idea first it was me (laughs) and it was on this podcast um uh I wanted to talk a bit about your mum. You have mentioned her, mm. but she was also an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wondered um, how she inspired you to get into the the acting business and uh, and maybe how her support was different from your dad's or anything like that. I think I, I, I had a kind of lesson in, you know, my mum had a very, I guess, normal career for a woman especially, that she was uh, working a lot before she had kids. Mm. And then when my sister came along first and then myself four years later... Um, I think also because of my father's very, very successful career. I think if they'd both been two normal jobbing actors, she probably would have been able to kind of get more work and do more work. But I think she had to take the choice of like, I either become pretty much a stay-at-home mum or my kids are going to be brought up by a nanny. So, you know, God love her. She just chose the former. Mm. Um, I saw uh, uh, the fallout of that in my teens um, when my sister left home and I think my mum for a while in her mid to late 40s into her 50s felt like, oh God, you know, what What have I kind of done with my life in a way, like a lot of, lot of people feel in their late 40s to early 50s um, for different reasons. And um, I do remember... Uh, that formed that formed me in a kind of different way in terms of it formed the sort of feminist in me. So uh, she she didn't have an effect in terms of career other than giving me a very realistic uh, version of what being an actress is and and can be. She also because of her choices for me I kind of went okay I, I've got to. I, I don't want that to be my life. I, you know, I, I, I didn't want, I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mum. Mm-hmm. And that is not about like, oh, it's terrible being a stay-at-home mum. Oh my goodness me, I just don't have that in me. Yeah. I, you know, um, I did want kids. I was just never able to have them. But uh, I actually, I think that's right. <laughs> because I actually think I would have found it 
very, I just couldn't have done it. I, I would have found the routine and the sort of, I would have found it quite dull, I think. It's not a terrible thing to say, but no? I'm going to be very honest. Um, women I aren't allowed the... to say that, really, are they? But, um, yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask, them. I was actually going to ask, um, do you feel now, finally, women are getting more opportunities in the, in the actual world? Or does it, are we, you know, are you still battling against, is anything changing, basically? It's a really interesting time right now in, in the industry. Um, Yes, we are getting more opportunities. there are more male parts opening up to... That sounds very rude, doesn't it? But anyway, <laughs> there are more male roles. That's better, isn't yeah. it? Uh, opening up um, for women, which is kind of bizarre. So because I have a flat chest and a deep voice, I do now often go up for male roles. Okay. Um, I have mixed feelings about that. I mean, could because, that not also be because you're a good, act, a good actress? Well, I mean, yeah, I have played men. Yeah. I have, and, and I have to tell you, it's a very, very liberating experience and I really enjoy it. But at the same time, it has to be right. And, and I, 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 I have been up for certain jobs where I've gone, I don't understand why this part has suddenly I'm play, is being played by a woman. You know, all of this is right. All of these kind of, you know, and diversity casting is right and all of that. But I think... It's it's just about making sure it works in the world of the play or the TV series, whatever it is, rather than it just being, oh, look, you are now doing this for, you know, uh, women or we're now mm. doing this for, you know, um, uh, people of colour. You know, which I, I, I don't, I just... So you wouldn't, yeah. agree, you wouldn't agree with quotas because in sports... No, I don't, South African sport, there are quotas. And of course, uh, in the last couple of years... In comedy panel shows in this country, yeah. they've said, oh, well, there needs to be one woman on each panel. I mean, isn't that just, though, potentially a starting point? I guess it is. I mean, when I say, no, I don't agree with the quotas, maybe it is. It's kind of a sad thing that we even have to have yeah. <laughs> that in in built, isn't it? Mm. I mean, why isn't it just like it just is a natural thing yeah. that happens? But maybe you're right. Maybe we do have to, you know, have that to remind people that this is an important Start as you say, a starting point and a way forward. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's an interesting time, and um, yeah, I I just I'm somebody that when I go to meet people for a job, I always audition them in my head, and it's something that I started to do because it took away the nerves a little bit, and so I would sit, I always sit in a meeting going, well, do I want to work with you? Because I think that just empowers you as an actor a bit more, um, and yeah, so I do try to look at the whole project and go, is this something, A, I want to be involved with? Is this going to work? Mm. You know, I'm not saying I'm always right because I, I think I've turned stuff down and then it's been absolutely brilliant and I'm like, mm, damn. Um, but, I, I, yeah, I just think it's it's just really important for actors to do that, to kind of just take a step back rather than just being 100% grateful that somebody has given them a job. Yeah. You know, to make sure that you are involved in things that are happening for the right reasons. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're 
you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah. Uh, well, we've just completed our quota of uh, good politic uh, yes. in this uh, in this. There we go. Um, I wanted to ask um, about, again, just getting into your dad's level of fame and then you following into acting and therefore potentially opening yourself up to the possibility of of being in the public eye yourself. Mm. Do you feel like that's something that, uh, a decision that was kind of made for you because of your inbuilt want to be an actor? Or mm. did you do, did you want to get in, or did you get into it despite everything you'd seen, your dad being stopped on the street, that kind of stuff, press intrusion, that kind of thing? I, I, um, I couldn't have been anything but an actor. I think that's, that's the thing. You know, mm. I, I, I did toy with other ideas, but ultimately you know, I was always going to do that. I didn't go into it because I wanted to be famous. I'm doing little speech marks there mm-hmm. because, um, no, that's not important to me. And thank goodness, even now, especially now, it's such a kind of dangerous game to play, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I I just went into it because I had no choice. It was the only thing that was going to make me happy. Um I was very aware in the early days after drama school, you know, there were I did get press attention because I was the daughter of Richard Bryars. So, you know, whatever job I was doing, and I did a lot of repertory theatre, you know, the local paper would be like, you know, it's the good life for Lucy and all of that. And that's all fine and, and was obviously good publicity for whatever show I was doing. But I did get to a point where I think after about three, four years, I would say to my agent, I don't really want to do this anymore because otherwise I am always just going to be Lucy Bryce, the daughter of Richard Bryce, and I don't want that. Um, and I was very careful about the 
jobs I took as well. Because when I left drama school, I did a lot of sitcom. And I started to, and I love sitcom. I love, love, love that genre, that weird thing where you're performing for the cameras, but you're also performing to a live audience. I just get a kick out of that. And, um, but I realised that, well, I not realised, but I suspected that I was almost being sort of slightly groomed. Um, and, and I just thought, well, I'm going to be less funny and I don't want to do that because dad was a one-off. So I, I very deliberately turned my back on that and went off and did about 10 years of repertory theatre doing kind of crazy new plays and Shakespeare and all of that. And my dad was very cross with me for doing that, you know, because he knew that that was going to make my path more difficult. Right. But I, I always wanted to be able to look myself in the mirror and go whatever... Uh, you've achieved, you've achieved by your own merit, not by the fact that you are the daughter of a famous actor. And that was really important to me. It's a very common theme amongst our guests, some of whom Mm. even changed their surnames. Yeah, uh, I thought about that. But then I kind of went, well, no, it's my surname, so why should I? You know, I I auditioned for a a film uh, that Ken Branagh made called In the Bleak Midwinter, which was about a troupe of actors doing... It's a beautiful film, doing a production of Hamlet. And I got quite far into possibly playing opposite Michael Maloney as his romantic interest. And then I didn't get it. And Ken very sweetly said to me, oh, but, you know, look, I'd love you to be in this. So there's a couple of parts at the beginning of the film, which was literally like, you know, one line. And I said, I can't do it because what that will look like is that I can't get a job and because my dad was in the film, mm. and you have given me this mm. as a sort of sympathetic, you know, like, oh, bless her, you know, we'll give her one line in the film. You know? mm. um, and I, I I, didn't do it because, so, yeah, I had to be careful like that, that I was never associated with him. I worked with him and my mum once. We did a play down in Southampton, but that was me co-producing. It was a brand new play. It was something that no one would have ever cast us in. Yeah. So I did that very deliberately as well. And do you think, or have you ever been subject of accusations of nepotism? Is it anything you've ever heard to your face and had to deal with? No, I'm sure when I first started out, I'm sure there were people going, oh, well, you know, she's going to have a very easy path through mm. this. Uh, and I and I probably could have had an easier path if I had kind of gone unashamedly, let's just <laughs> use all my father's contact uh, contacts. But I, I and, and sometimes I must say, I go, oh, it would have been easier. Yeah. <laughs> it might have been easier. But I don't regret that. No, no I don't. I don't think so. And I have taken a very, very different path in terms of what I've done. So, no, I don't I don't think that happened, never happened to my face. I've, had a, I've kind of asked that question to mm. pretty much all of our guests. And, and the common theme is that a lot of that fear of people thinking like that, a lot of it is so in everybody's heads that yeah. the reality of it is probably not nearly as... as happening as you think it is absolutely absolutely um, yeah yeah um you've said before that you and your father both have the same stamina bloody mindedness and amazing talent for whinging uh, which made me laugh um can you remember things specifically that you both had in common in terms of what you felt bloody minded and whingy about i wondered Oh, gosh, I can whinge about anything, to be frank. Um, you don't come across as whingy. Uh, I think I'm slightly more positive these days. I've done a lot of mindfulness. Um, who hasn't? Who it's hasn't? 2019. Come on. Um, I am, actually. I'm much more about the attitude of gratitude these days. Um, the attitude of gratitude. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Well, there's my new Tinder bio <laughs> sorted. 
<laughs> I do. I do this thing. Um, it's a bit hokey, but I do this thing at the end of every day and at the beginning of every day. I will just wake up and go, what am I grateful for? And I will, when I go to bed, I go, what have I been grateful for today? And it's nice. It, it is good because I am a, a glass half empty kind of person. I'm quite doer as my father was. Uh, I don't like collective happiness. So I don't like festivals or I, I find all of that very difficult. Okay. <laughs> um, I like winter. Mm. I like autumn. I like darkness. I like quiet. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually quite dull. Um, my father was quite melancholic. Yeah. I, I think I veer towards that way as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, when I say uh, amazing talent for whinging, my father was the champion of comedy whinging. So he did whinge, um, and uh, but it was in such a funny way. You know, it was kind of hilarious. Um, I just whinge. Um. Was, it, was it kind of um, similar? So I'd say David Mitchell is particularly good at that in, yeah. in the modern generation of absolutely. comics where he, his kind of faux rants on, yes. on things. Yes. Similar yeah, to that? Absolutely. And... Um, and what else did we have in common? Yeah, both um, very focused, goal-focused, I suppose. Um, work-focused. I'm very work-focused, always have been. Um, and stamina. Yeah, well, my dad had much more stamina than I think I have. I mean, if you think about the fact he did all through my childhood, he would do a West End play every year, so 17 or 18 West End plays. The minimum run, to, run of one of those was six months, maximum nine, mm. eight shows a week. Mm -hmm. I don't think he ever, I think he did his back in one show and he had like a week off. But I mean, I've done long, long runs of shows and oh my goodness, I don't know. And then he would also, for maybe six, seven weeks of, of one of those contracts, a couple of times during one of those contracts, be recording a, uh, a TV show. So no, he had... Um, way more stamina than me I'm alright but no he had kind of championship <laughs> stamina yeah um, so just uh, some of the things you mentioned that you and your dad had in common mm. melan melancholia yeah. um, and things you talked about loving the winter and the dark and mm. stuff. I mean these are quite common signs of depression uh, to some degree and I'm not <laughs> yes. saying that well what I say yes. is that, you know I'd say I suffer from a bit of depression at times myself mm. and I have those things in common as well mm. and we previously talked about how your dad was an artist mm. and obviously you followed in an artistic way into that do you think those things come hand in hand a, a, a lot of ways and that's what leads us into the career decisions we make because that creativity is important to us to yes balance out those negatives sometimes yeah I mean I would not call myself a depressive mm -hmm. uh, very luckily um, I, I've I've only ever um, been uh, this is a very kind of open fact I'm going to share now because I think people should talk about these things but the only time I have actually had a period of depression was after I had a miscarriage right. so uh, you know that is when I went oh everything is ashes nothing means anything so I understand to a degree what being um, suffering from depression is like. I don't know that my father, it's very difficult. He was a very private person, so he may well have had periods of depression that I wasn't aware of. But because he was consistently and constantly working, he probably, he used that yeah. to, to sort of stave it off. Um, and because of the type of man my father was and the generation he came from, you know, he would have just said, oh, well, I just have to buck up. You know, he'd have never gone to a counsellor or I'm absolutely, you know, just not never do that. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think it is a necessary side to to most actors, artists, uh, to have that darker side and to be able to sit in that and understand that. Because then how are you going to 
play yeah helps you into roles. all those different roles yeah. you know you you're not you know so yeah it's a price i think most creatives pay yeah. really yeah um I wonder how your dad, you think your dad might have been different if he wasn't famous and how it would have affected your life. Have you ever had any thoughts on that? Oh my God, no. Um, what, if he'd still been an actor? Uh, yeah. Yeah, why, why not? I yeah. think as long as my dad had made enough money as an actor, he would have been very happy to do that. I don't, as I've said before, the fame aspect of it was not something he had gone into the profession to chase. It just happened because of the various shows he did. Um, yeah, I think as long as he'd felt that he could provide for his family, he would have been happy. If he'd been a an actor who hadn't been able to do that, I think our lives would have been a lot tougher, a lot tougher, you mm. know, because he wouldn't have felt fulfilled. He would have felt that he'd failed as a, a father and as a, an actor. And yeah, I think that would have been super difficult because he always said to me there's nothing else I could ever have done mm. there's nothing else I could ever have done and I don't mean that in like I've said it earlier I, there was nothing else I wanted to do but I, I think I'm kind of a bit more diverse in the fact that you know I run workshops I do other things I'm learning to be a, a hands-on healer at the moment you know all that kind of stuff I have other interests my father just was literally like I have no other interest <laughs> this is it so I think if it hadn't worked out that would have been quite a tough family scenario. I really envy that in some ways, that that knowledge of the one thing you're so passionate about mm. that you you have to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm kind of envious of that because over the years of my career, I've found myself, you know, lots of different lots of different uh, fingers in different pies. Mm. I actually went, I actually did an interview um, for a TV job once where the guy said, uh, you don't get a lot of interviews, do you? And I said, actually, do you know what I don't? He said, that's because people want to pigeonhole you and yes. you've done so many different things that they don't know how to fit you into their box. That's so true. I remember um, doing an audition and this director looked down my CV and he went, gosh, you play a lot of different types of roles, don't you? And I went, well, isn't that what being an actor is? And he just looked at me like I sort of said something completely incomprehensible. No, they do, everybody wants to just go oh yeah. you know Barnaby does this Lucy does that and then yeah. it's easy but yeah I saw an interview though with your dad where he mm. talked about how a lot of his early roles he felt he was playing a version of himself uh, yeah. he certainly was talk talked about playing Tom Good yeah. and how basically it was um, you know someone trying so hard to get everything right that he ends up getting it wrong yeah yeah, so, yeah. No, I think, and, and then he obviously branched out. You know, yeah, later but I, th on. I think, of course, there's always going to be aspects of yourself in every part you play yeah. because you're going to be drawing on those. I always like look at a role and I go, right, what is similar in my personality to this role, and then obviously what is different, and that's what I have to kind of go away and research and really think about. But there's always going to be aspects that you use from yourself, yeah. definitely. I'm actually the world's most terrible actor. I've tried Are to do you? some acting in time. Yeah, because when I was doing when I was doing stand up comedy, you you and you get an agent, you automatically get put up for acting roles. Of course, yes. And every time I was in any of those auditions or whatever, I just felt so in the wrong place. <laughs> um, so I think the only way it would ever work for me is if the role, you know, it was a character who was just a hundred percent sarcastic the whole time. Brilliant. And otherwise, I couldn't do it. Um, what is the most embarrassing moment or strange anecdote that you can think of? From as a result of growing up around fame, um, I, 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 I think I feel that, like there's something there. there there's something is, there. There is, but it's such a silly story. But I always remember this, and it, it's not. It wasn't very embarrassing, but it, well, it kind of was. We were on our way to. Uh, for about three or four years, every summer, my parents would rent this little cottage in Cornwall, and we were driving down there in my dad's kind of Morris 
something or other, Morris Minor or something. And we got stuck in some in a traffic jam or something in the middle of a kind of market town. That's all I remember. And it was very hot. And um, uh, the dog was in the back and all that, you know. And we got stuck. And this woman walked past the car and did a double take at my dad. And... And I say it was hot, but for some reason the window was up. It's again my father going, no, no, that's why. I don't know why. Anyway, the window was, was up. Was it the hot summer of 76 that it everyone probably, talks about? It, it, no, that, no, we didn't go to Cornwall that year. <laughs> um, uh, bizarrely, I can remember that. But um, So anyway, she knocked on the window. My father probably opened the window more. Anyway, and he, he knew what was coming. And we all went, oh, here we go. You know, yes, yes, hello. Yes, you can have an autograph. Lovely, lovely you know, whatever. My father was always incredibly polite to everybody who asked for an autograph because he's, he used to say to us, these are the people that keep me where I am. You know, if I'm rude to my fans, then I'm just being a hideous person, which is quite right, you know. Mm. And anyway, this woman knocked on the window. He wound the window down and she went, you're Paul Eddington, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> and he just wound the window back up. <laughs> Which and it's the only time I ever saw my dad be rude or kind of rude or non-committal to a fan because he was and I just thought oh, that's hilarious. I was probably only about eight or nine or something, but um, and it's Paul, not really embarrassing. Paul Eddington was the uh, Eddington was the other character in The Good Life, indeed. Who yeah. I read that your dad got him the job in that. I read he suggested him for I it. I think anyway. he did, yeah. But I think both. All of them, uh, Felicity Kendall, Penelope Keith and Paul Eddington were all in either one or two Alan Aikbourne plays that were on in the West End at the time of casting for The Good Life. And I think Dad saw Paul in something and just went, he's brilliant. Um, and they became lifelong friends. I mean, yeah. they were very, very good friends. I was definitely in a, I can't remember, I think it was a bar with um, my stepdad, Angus Deaton. Mm -hmm. And um, someone came up to him and said, um, you're Nicholas Witchell, aren't you? <laughs> Which and you what see, did Angus do? Oh, I don't think. Uh, I mean, an, uh, an arch eyebrow raise. It doesn't look say. anything like No, him. if you look at Nicholas Witchell now and don't think of Nicholas Witchell from the 80s, there is a similarity. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, didn't go down overly But well Angus is much better known, isn't he? Well, I guess it depends in, in comedy and acting world probably, but in terms of people who've watched the six o'clock news that's all their true. life that's and, true. and love the royals because he's now yes, the royal correspondent, right. isn't yes, he? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I wonder if you're, you feel your acting has been in any way uh, influenced by your dad's or your mum's for that matter. Um, uh, I mean, the thing is I look a bit like my dad, which is really annoying because um, my mum uh, looked like Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> When she was younger, I was always like, thanks, great, thanks for those lack of genes, mum. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of, I'm very aware of that, and I, I'm still aware of that. Um, so I read, I think in an article that you'd, uh, you'd been interviewed or something, or, mm. I, I certainly read somewhere that some, someone said that you look like your dad, and I hadn't immediately thought it's of my, that. It's, it's the lower not... part of my face, it's when I smile, I have his smile. Right. Um, I, I definitely have certain mannerisms of his that I couldn't kind of actually... Uh, identify myself, but people have said, you know, you do have mannerisms. Of course, I do. So yeah. You know, um, I think if I'm if I'm looking, you know, if I'm if I'm having a problem with a character, I will think about what would how would Dad get out of this potentially. Um, and uh, I, I, it's it's funny. I don't refer to my to my mum as much as an actor because, you know, she she really didn't do that much work from when I was kind of conscious of it. what was wonderful was when we did the play together and they played my parents. It was fantastic to actually be on stage with my mum and kind of go, oh my goodness, okay, you know. And she was an excellent actress, you know, and. Um, 
so yeah, I didn't really get that until much later on in my in my life. But yeah, dad is a reference sometimes. I will think, well, how would he say this line, or how would he, yeah. you know? But um, that's, I, I think yeah. that feels like a mm. what, what a reference to have. That yeah. feels like a great archive to call upon. You know, mm. absolutely. No, it, it, not bad. <laughs> um, your dad once admitted that he enjoyed being recognised, saying, I'm gregarious by nature, so love chatting to people. It really cheers me up. Um, is that level of fame something you ever aspired to? I don't get the feeling that it was. No. You just acted for because you loved acting. Yeah, I never th- thought about that aspect of things. Um, uh, I mean, I will hilariously, not so much now, but I used to get recognised regularly for... Uh, Pride and Prejudice Mm -hmm. Um, and because I played Mary Bennett who was like and again I'm putting the speech marks the plain sister um, I would always get recognised if I'd gone out without any makeup on which I thought was quite hilarious Um, but uh, would they say you're Paul Eddington (laughs) yeah you're Paul Eddington on you Um, so um, and that was very pleasant you know but uh, I mean was it pleasant so you felt comfortable absolutely because I would just go into how I'd seen my dad behave with people who asked for autographs. And um, I will do exactly the same if I'm in a show in the West End and anyone asks for my autograph at the stage door afterwards. Of course, you're just pleasant and you say thanks for seeing the show because, yeah, they're, they're absolutely. Um, you know, I have a couple of friends of mine who are sort of film star fame level. Um, I would in no way want that level of attention. Uh, they all cope with it extremely well um, in different ways. Um, and uh, I, I always say I wouldn't mind the bank account, mm. that, that you know, but I would not want that level of attention. Certain friends of ours um, who are based in LA, they one of them went through a phase of being super well-known and there was always a sort of battered old, you know, Mustang outside their house with paparazzi, a guy paparazzi. Mm. In, and I just think, how horrific. Yeah. You know, you can't just go, oh, I'll just pop around the corner for a, you know, you have to kind of like put, I don't know, full makeup on or look really great or whatever. So, yeah, that, oh, God, no. I, I'm happy to occasionally be recognised for, you know, like, oh, you played Mary Bennett in 1843 and I go, thanks very much and yeah. lovely, you know. And, and because of the tabloids and the paparazzi, a lot of mm. people who grew up in famous families have had to deal with a lot of lies being written about them. I wonder if that's something uh, about your, you've ever had to deal with. No, I, I mean, uh, really, the only thing, I had a kind of really annoying thing that happened where I'd, I'd been a bit, sort of careless in an interview when I was doing Pride and Prejudice actually and my uh, ex-husband um, uh, proposed to me <laughs> while we were driving down the A4 you know it's not romantic but kind of is romantic because it's not all kind of you know stage managed mm. and and I said literally that, driving or did you pull over no he was driving and we were just having a chat and he just <laughs> went oh you know I think we should get married and I was like oh, okay great um, <laughs> but uh, but so I kind of said this in an interview and he didn't have a ring or anything you know um, also he know he knew me well enough that he knew that I would have to design the ring and because I'm quite controlling about things right. like that um, so, write, uh, write the man. theme tune sing the theme tune exactly you know so and then it it, it was put into a nasty little sort of tiny little thing in the gossip pages of, I don't know, the Daily Mail or something. You know, it said Lucy Lucy Briars on the A4 without a diamond. And my mm. my my ex-husband got incredibly upset by that, and quite rightly so, you mm. know. And that taught me a lesson. But it, it's also that awful thing of things being kind of twisted. Fortunately, my dad had such an image that nobody, I think, even if my father had, you know, been... Um, you know, uh, oh, for goodness sake, what's the name of the character that, that um, 
uh, uh, Brian Cranston plays in Breaking Bad. Walter White. Walter White. Even if my father had been Walter White, uh, you know, running a sort of crystal meth business in his shed. I'd have still wanted wouldn't. you as a guest, just so you know. I'd have definitely still wanted <laughs> it, it, you as a guest. Nobody would have, even if there'd been evidence. I, I just think my father, very wonderfully, was so well-liked that yeah. I don't think people would have run a story. You know, I, I don't know. I just, I was very lucky in that respect. Yeah. You know, that he was just, and, and also my, there was just fortunately nothing, I don't know, there was not there was nothing to be lied about or made up. or He just didn't attract that kind of journalism. Yeah. Which is great. And and what comes across and, and has come across, it's, it's a really common theme amongst people I've interviewed for this show, is that they're famous family member be it father mother or or sibling um is is seems to always be our guest's hero always like really and and this comes across with you as well um, yeah although i hate the word hero okay Give, I tell me what I, tell me what you'd have preferred uh ooh. I, the reason i hate it is i think it's overused like the word star Mm. You know, I, I I just think it's it's also like that dreadful poli- pol- uh, politician phrase, isn't it? Thoughts and prayers. You know, it, it's it, a hero to me is is a firefighter mm. or a you know mm. somebody who saves lives or a paramedic. Um, but isn't it different uh, to when, when it's somebody's hero rather than just being a hero? Maybe. Like, I, I guess I just mean um, he, you know aspiration. Yes, a, I so think aspirational and and just that, yeah. that depth of love. I guess is is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, I think I think for me he was somebody who I always looked up to and still do in terms of going, well, what would he do or how would he handle the situation? And I looked up to him and respected him hugely yeah. for his work ethic and how he approached what happened to him in his career and all of that. But yeah, I would never say hero. To me, that's just a bit mawkish. I don't know. It's just a bit... It I mean, just turns your dad into something that he's not in a way. We did ask your agent if there was anything you didn't want to say, if you could have just come back with the, the word hero, then that would have helped me out a great deal. I'm so sorry. Um, I'm so, so sorry. Uh, you mentioned um, your ex-husband, so you've yes. really been married. I wondered yes. if growing up around fame has in any way you think affected your personal relationships or seeing, mm. you know, you talk about your dad in such uh, amazing ways. I wonder if that made it difficult for men in particular or relationships <laughs> in particular to aspire yeah, it, to it, it live pro- up to. It probably did, actually. Um yeah, I think it probably was. And quite an odd household to become a part of. You know, my family were very much a kind of like we all sat around the dinner table, slightly raised voices, you know, shouting about what we, what our opinions were. It, not in an aggressive way. That was just how we communicated with each other. And uh, my ex-husband came from a much quieter, more intellectual family. Um, and that was as much a shock for me as for him, you know, vice versa. So yeah. I'd go for dinner the f- and go, oh, my God, we, oh my, I felt so intimidating, sort of like intimidated yeah. and, and inhibited. And I think he did for the opposite reasons. Um yeah, I think if you have a father-in-law um, who who had that kind of standing, that was probably quite a difficult thing to balance in one's life. Um, my my partner now, my who I've been with for nearly thirteen years, he um, he and my dad got on uh, probably the best out of any person I've had a long-term relationship with, and um, they just have a sort of similar, I don't know, sort of quite dark. Uh, Irish because um, there's a lot of Irish blood in my father's side of the family there's a lot of Irish blood in my partners and they've just they just clicked and so I think uh, my partner 
didn't feel that. And also, by the time he met me, Dad was not in that kind of massively high point of his career. He was already sort of starting to slow down. Um, so probably not as intimidating. But And um, presumably got to spend more time with him than maybe he would have done. Yeah, well, we even earlier. lived with my parents um, because I, I had so much work done to the flat I just bought. We had to move out. Yeah. So we lived with my parents for three months, like in my uh, in our early 40s. It was hilarious. And um, That's my a partner, sitcom if ever I've It heard is it. a real sitcom. And my partner's a brilliant cook, so he would do a lot of the cooking. And yeah, no, it was, that was actually a really great thing for him, again, to sort of just know who my parents were and know who my dad was on a day-to-day basis, you know. I think when I was younger, I would be a little bit wary of why people wanted to be friends with me. Yeah. There would be, again, when dad was, you know, at his peak of fame, I'd be a little bit like, oh, okay, why are you sniffing around? You know, um, you, you do have to choose your friend's carefully I think Mm. um, and hang on to the people who are loyal to you as well I never understand that thing that happens where you see actors who suddenly become incredibly famous and they some people drop all the friends they they've only had. Start hanging out with famous what people. are you yeah. doing? And you go, no, 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 no. Please hang on to those people because they're your real friends who were kind of there helping you do your self tapes and doing, you know, before you became a huge Hollywood star or whatever. It, and I, you know, the friends I have who are very famous are have very sensibly done that. They they they've hung on to all the people who they were at school with who were friends. You know. That's how you deal with it, and that's yeah. how you do it. So yeah, but again, my father was not Robert Redford. You know, I, it wasn't that level of fame. Yeah. So, but once again, if he had been, I'd still be interested in interviewing him. <laughs> that's very um, kind. One Thank final you. question: that I we might ask. have better bone structure as well. Uh, well <laughs> there's been a lot of self-deprecating stuff about how you. That's look my really. dad. I'm, that's my dad. That's not, that my not, dad in me. Not that, not that delighted with that, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, one final question that we ask everyone. I feel like I know what the answer is going to be. Okay. If you could live your life all over again, but without having had a famous father, would you swap? Would I still have my father? Yes, but he wouldn't have been famous. I think I'd go back to when I said, as long as he'd been successful... Enough for them enough financially. For, yeah, I, I, yeah, cool. yeah, absolutely. Um, but if he hadn't been, no, I wouldn't swap. <laughs> <laughs> Love the honesty. Lucy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been really fun. Lovely, lovely chat. You've been so open, actually. And, and, oh, I hope um, I haven't been too open, Barnaby. <laughs> no, I I personally don't think so. You were, Good. Uh, you'd, you'd said before that you were worried about being indiscreet. I mean, yep. a little bit more indiscretion might have gone a long way. Sauce. But uh, <laughs> maybe maybe next time on the, uh, the bonus features that we will never air. Um, <laughs> Thanks uh, for coming on the show. And for you guys for listening to this episode of Almost Famous, please do press that subscribe button. We'd love for you to listen to every single episode if possible. And if you could leave a comment in the comments box too, ideally positive, but you know, it's all good for helping us up that algorithm. I never so read you, reviews, so that's good. Yep, so Lucy won't be reading. Uh, I will be reading, but I see it all as, um, you know, positivity, even if you're being abusive. Uh, find us on Instagram at Almost Famous the Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. And until next time thank you so much for listening mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market 
Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 